the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hi, friends. Welcome to The Common Good. If you only knew the absurdity that Brian and I are shouting back and forth at each other. It's Friday, man. <laughs> the moment beautiful we go live. It's Friday. We are children sometimes. I, I can't believe they give us microphones at all. In any in any environment. One of the saddest things, though. Yeah, in any environment. That's <laughs> right, true. Just period. <laughs> I got to be honest. Like People enjoy the show and when they listen to it, and we're really happy for the feedback that we get from people and stuff. And I know the bad feedback doesn't usually get back to us, but... What I what I wish sometimes people are always like, oh, you guys, you're this or that. And I'm like, if you could just hear us between <laughs> or like when we're not on air. And uh, we, we often joke that if they could hear that, we'd probably lose both of our jobs. <laughs> uh, well, that's yeah, that's a little on the nose. I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of which, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com plus anywhere you get podcasts. And if you like and review, uh, that stuff actually helps us out a lot. Yep. But uh, Brian, Addison Russell's in the news, and it's a complex story. It's not just a sports story, but it, it's right. one that has some layers that actually feels a little reminiscent of the Tiger Woods story that we were talking about, what, a week or two ago? Yep. And uh, I'm curious some of your thoughts on this. Yeah, so just to give the background, and this is a very local story, but also a national story, right? A lot of Cub fans out there. And uh, Addison Russell, you remember, he's been the shortstop for the Cubs for the last five years or so, including when they won the World Series. So, you know, he was right there starting at shortstop during that whole World Series run, had a lot of big hits. Uh, So Addison Russell has kind of come up with Chris Bryant and Javi Baez and Uh all these guys. Right. Uh, But about a year or two ago, uh, there started to become these reports about Addison Russell uh, about domestic violence. And so it was dealt with. It was kind of you know, kind of a dark cloud, but it was done. It was kind of finished. And then um, new allegations came out last year uh, from his ex-wife and it were just, they were just really dark and you never know what to believe and what not to believe, but it's kind of a deal where, where there's smoke, there's fire. And then he admitted to some of it. Right. And so major league baseball, um, they suspended him for 40 games. And that's why you haven't seen Addison Russell that's this right. year. He's big, he got suspended for 40 games and uh, that suspension ends next week. So Addison Russell is going to, right now he's playing in the Arizona Rookie League to kind of get himself back. And the article right. that we're referencing here was written by Bob Nightingale in USA Today. And it's really a, a little bit of a feel-good story for Addison Russell. It's like, yeah, you know, Addison Russell is kind of uh, back to his roots and he's he's got a new uh, girlfriend uh, with a kid and he's in counseling. And if you read this article, you're like, you know what? Addison Russell, he's only 25 years old. Right. Because you start to think these guys, we've known about them for five, six years. You start to think like, oh, these guys are, you know, 35. No, he's 25 years old. Uh, And so he's kind of, it's kind of being 
Um, he, you know, he goes to a counselor twice a week. The Cubs have been saying he's been doing what he's supposed to do. Major League Baseball has been saying he's been doing what he's supposed to do. Um, and so it got me thinking as this is coming, uh, is this a redemption story? Are we excited? I'd be interested to know people out there, especially Cub fans, 68683. You can text us, type CG, and then your comment. I'd really love uh, to hear your response to this because if you're at the first game that Addison Russell's playing, I believe he's eligible to play again, I believe, on May 3rd or something like that. If you were at Addison Russell's first game at Wrigley, uh, would you stand and cheer him? Hmm. Or is what Addison Russell has done over the last six months to a year caused you to be like, nope, I'm done. I, I can't cheer a person like that. Uh, or is there some gray area? And so uh, this is where sports gets weird because you talked to us about Tiger Woods. You mentioned Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods uh, has some, <laughs> we're going to put it gently, he's got some baggage. Yeah. And, uh, but now he just won the Masters and it was like this redemption story and celebrate. And I, you and I talked about it. I, I almost cried when he won mm-hmm. sitting there with my kid. And so I'm curious what well, your thoughts on Addison Russell when he gets up to play this week. Uh, but also, I would love to hear from our audience on the text line. What is your feel uh, as, you know, a good baseball player for many of your favorite team who has been an important player for many years and is saying that he's on the right track? Uh, how will you welcome back into your kind of fandom, Addison Russell? Well, as you mentioned uh, that there's some gray here. I think that's an understatement. I think our capacity... To see clearly those we idolize is cloudy at best. And that's not just sports. That's movie stars and musicians. I think our our, uh, pastors, for (laughs) sure, our capacity to objectively see through the noise is clouded for any number of reasons. If it's a pastor, it's because... Oh man, but he baptized my kid, or he officiated my wedding, That's, or just preaches good sermons. Or preaches good sermons, yes. totally. In the same way with sports, and you know, it probably isn't a big shock. I tend to be much more on the skeptical side yes. of this conversation because I feel like far more often than not. It's the person in power that ends up, quote, getting away with it. Yep. I'm not saying that's always the case. It certainly isn't, and I think the times are changing. But it does feel like often we justify, like, yeah, but he's, like, you even mentioned it, not as a justification, but just sort of in your perspective. Ah, he's a great player. Yeah. So I could see if I'm, like, diehard Cubs fan, mm-hmm. like, he's a great player, plays for a team that I really care about. The team has meant a lot to me and my family. You can see how that would begin to sort of, Mm-hmm. Color at the very least your perspective or your ability or inability to forgive, to move on. And again, I, I'm not totally versed in the story. These were accusations or were these no, convictions? They, they were. Uh, they were more or less admitted to. Okay. It says Russell has since apologized to his ex-wife. She endured physical, mental, and emotional abuse during their two-year marriage, which ended in divorce uh, in August. And now he's in a lot of counseling and has been taking steps. I mean, here's a messier question. Uh, it's it's sports. Should we even care? Should we even care if our people are good people? Yes. Okay, tell me why. Uh, for a number of reasons. One, because time is currency. Currency is currency. We're giving our time and money, which is uh-huh. a part of ourselves, yep. to these organizations and in turn to these players. And I mean, I, I would say this even if I wasn't a parent, but you know, whether we say it out loud or not, we are pointing to them in some capacity mm-hmm. as people to look up to. And I'm not saying, even like the... The, the thing that you offer as an, as an opportunity to think through the, you know, our reaction, do I cheer or not cheer? Yep. There's like 10 other options in between those yep. two. There's like definitely even, a middle. Right. But even as you said it, I didn't even think <laughs> about like, oh, there will be people on their feet. 
when I he takes the field for the first time, a right? A lot of people on Right. I didn't even think yeah. about that. Like yeah. for me, and this is a way messier conversation, like what weddings you do and don't go to, is, right? is my attendance the same as cheering? Is my attendance affirmation? Does that mean I'm condoning? Yep. And I'm not I mean, I'm talking about in any in any spectrum. Can I attend a game and and also stand in opposition? To Addison Russell's behavior, right. I think you can, but I do think it gets messy. And I'm sure somebody's listening. Like, just it's just baseball, yeah, man. Like, yeah. leave it alone. Like, Which is an option, but totally. also that is also a slippery slope the other way. Because yeah, right. If it's just baseball, or it's just politics, or it's mm. just church, or it's just whatever, character does come into play sometimes. Yeah. But you know, think about it. Uh, the 2016 Cubs, they. Um, they won the World Series for the first time in you know over a century, and we all loved it, right? Yeah. Especially Cub fans. They traded in the middle of the year that year for a closer by the name of Araldus Chapman, uh-huh. who had been suspended that year for domestic violence. Right. And they justified it, and mm. many people were like, listen, we need a closer. <laughs> like, we're not trying to have a Boy Scout troop here. Mm. And uh, I think it's a really hard one. Charles Barkley famously said, I'm not a role model, right? Uh, a long time ago. Too late, He though. said the Sorry. parents are the role model. And I... A lot of times what we do on the show is just try to throw stuff up in the air for people to wrestle with. Because I do think you can be very justified in answering this on either side. I just think you have to be honest and consistent about it. Like, if Addison Russell was a 220 hitter who was a marginal glove, would you be okay? Or is it only because he's a borderline all-star and gold glover? Like, where is that? And then... What about the character stuff we don't talk about? There's yeah. been books now written about Michael Jordan, what uh-huh. he was like, and people didn't report on. Uh-huh. Does that change? I, it's just messy, and I don't know the right answer. And that's what I enjoy about this show. We throw it in people's laps and say, <laughs> kind of deal with it. But we would love you to text us. I would love to hear more about it. 68683. Well, I, I kind of don't buy Barkley's response to that I'm not yep. a role model. I think Maxwell's uh, leadership is influence. Mm-hmm. And regardless of whether or not you see yourself as one, when you are playing at that level, yep. you you are a role model for better or for worse, and I think you have to wield that well, which yep. is uh, obviously something that you and I in that arena haven't ever had to navigate. Yep. Well, kind of sticking with this theme of uh, sports and how we do or don't invest in it or how much weight we give it, I want to talk about maybe how we actually do this with our kids yes. and some of the insanity that I know even you're experiencing right now I'll share some with sports. your kids playing sports <laughs> and how we navigate those tumultuous waters. That's yep. coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. We've been talking about sports and how we interact with it to what degree. And we've kind of said... At the surface, at least, you're more of the sports guy. Yep. Um, but I, I mean, I care about sports, and actually, you know, growing up, I played. I wasn't very good, but I have, <laughs> I have sports in my memory still, yeah. sort of. But uh, I remember even walking through some of like trying to observe why is this so important to my parents, yeah. and then observing like other kids on the team, like oh. Well, I thought I thought my parents were intense. Yours are, you know, they're showing up with war paint. Like there's, I rem- I still have vivid memories of like as a kid on the field discerning the differences yeah. of how families, how much value they gave it or how much, you know, weight. And I, I'm curious as kids, you know, you have kids in sports now. I do. And you're probably not only kind of wrestling through your own <laughs> observations, but now along with other parents yeah. and there's money involved and there's also this like dangling carrot of possibilities. Like, well, if you do well here, then maybe next year and then down the road, this is going to happen. Like what's been your experience with your own kids? And then as you step back, to see like our our deeper, wider involvement yeah. with kids sports in general. So uh, I've got a couple different avenues to discuss this from. The one is 
Uh, interestingly, as a pastor, my church, Four Corners Community Church in Darien, we share a warehouse building with one of the largest batting cages in all of the Midwest right. called the Perfect Swing. Right. Everybody in town knows where the Perfect Swing is. So I can just say, we're like, where's your church? I'm like, we're, we were right next to the Perfect Swing. Oh, Oh, that's kind of brilliant, actually. There are eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds in there, mm. Sunday morning, Saturday, Sunday night, Saturday. It's crazy really? what people, and like working out, pushing tires, like crazy stuff, man. And your office is in there, too, so you're like seeing all this week in and week yeah, out? we share a hallway. That's yeah, so we're funny. in there together. But as you said, I have three kids. One of them's a freshman in high school, and my daughter, uh, she played sports, but it was never really her thing, although now she got to high school, and I'm super proud of her. She she decided she wanted to go out for the tennis team and was on a tennis team last year. Yeah. Uh, but she's the one who looked at me one day and was like, Dad, I'm just not as competitive as you. Hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, That's great. fair, right? <laughs> like, right. it was just kind of like, I'm having fun. Like, this is good. Yeah. My son, and I don't mean to sound really sexist, but a lot of the dads out there are going to understand this. You're going to get this if you have a daughter sometime. You just treat your boys and your girls differently. Oh, I don't think that's sexist. I don't and think that's sexist. when it comes to sports as a dad, it's like the the the, the laser focus I at least put on my son is different than I put on my girls when it comes to sports and activities. Yeah, that part might be sexist. Yes. It is. <laughs> and so I try. I try not to do this. Um, but my son has always been a good athlete, and now for the first time, he's playing this year travel baseball, Okay, which is a whole new deal. Yeah. And it made me a little sad. The reason we went to travel baseball, we live in Downers Grove, and he's always played Park District. There it's called the DGYB, Downers Grove Youth Baseball. Uh, and most of the kids are off in travel game now. Hmm. And it's just, it's you just are eventually like, I, I, we have to move them. For, and how, how old is he again? He's in fifth grade. Fifth grade. Yep. So it's like 11. Yes, exactly. Okay. So my fourth grade girl, my daughter, is just also now going into travel soccer. And okay. so for the same reason, the Park District, while fun, it's just the kids are either stopping and playing or they're going <laughs> off to travel. It's right. just kind of the way it right. goes. And so now we've entered into this whole money deal. Oh, like, yeah. It's no small deal, man. Like, it's a whole money deal. And uh, it's a good thing I have this burgeoning, like, this growing radio thing going on right now. You right? reference that a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to speak it into Is existence. Is getting paid more than me? Can I'm anyone verify that? Speak it into existence. <laughs> uh, but here's what I've realized. The parents can get crazy. Yeah, I'm sure. Rarely the kids. The parents really? can get crazy. It, the kids are more intense, but it feels right. Like, mm. the kids are more intense. The practicing is more. There's more structure to it. Mm. And I've struggled with that a little bit. But here's what I've really, and this is where we can get pastoral and get a little more, less about sports and more about parenting. Yeah. Because this could be true for music. This could be true yeah. for theater. This could be true for academics, what I'm about to say. Uh, I am really struggling. Not, uh, I'm having to fight the urge to care more about how my son does than my son does. Hmm. I really am. And I never thought that about myself. Is that, okay, let me ask though, is that always wrong? For you to care more about something that your son is doing than he does. I don't, uh, no. I think because I want him to be happy. I want him to enjoy success. But you also have a perspective he doesn't have. So, like, that it's makes good. sense that sometimes you'd say, hey, you, you're you 11. So yep. you, like, neurobiologically can't see this yet. So I'm feeling more intensely for you. It's like, it's not the same at all, but, like, my eldest is a year and a half. Yeah. And, a lot, like, he just hangs out on the edge of things, edge of tables, edge mm -hmm. of chairs. And he's like, oh, he's so lackadaisical about it. I get really intense. Because I see the distance he might fall. Yeah. I'm sure in his baby brain, he's like, let me jump. What are you freaking out about, Dad? No, no big deal. Like, I wonder if in the same way, it's, good. it's totally always wrong for you to feel more intensely for him than he does. Probably not. But it's weird. Like, when he pitches now or when he bats, I literally find myself getting, like, nervous. Uh, and it's like, and part of it is because I want my son to succeed. Right. 
it's your boy. There's also like this. It's just you have to really try hard not to enter into like this competitive stream with other parents. Mm. And then this article where you and I are reading in the Wall Street Journal, it starts to like how parents have the carrot out there of scholarships, even though most kids are not going to get it. Right, right. You start thinking like, well, my kid's in fifth grade. Like, I don't (laughs) need to be thinking, will he be good enough to play in high school? But but like that becomes some of the sales pitch of some of these travel teams. Oh yeah, okay, well, other parents are like, that's how losers think. Exactly. <laughs> and so uh, all I'm saying is I don't know the right answer. Uh, all I know is I've started walking into this huh. this youth sports kind of world that I used to rail against and be like, you know, good Christian parents, blah blah blah. And and now <laughs> I realize like. It's kind of like the frog in the boiling water, right? Like, all of a sudden, you're in it, and you're like, wait, I was never that intense guy, but now all of a sudden, we're running the practice here and running the practice here and Mm. doing this. Now I've got to really be intentional um, about how do we want to be as a family. Mm. And and so it's been odd. It's been interesting. Um, I heard a story. You're going to laugh at this or cry one of the two, and I might have shared it before. (laughs) A friend of mine told me a story about a friend of his whose son, uh, he was really intense into his son's baseball. Okay, the son was really good. So it kind of paid off. And the son was about to go to a D1 school, a big D1 school and a baseball scholarship for Mm. college. So played through high school. So starting in Little League, played all the travel teams, played all the instructors, all the instruction, all this kind of stuff was about to go uh, with the summer before he was going to a Big Ten school to play baseball on a full ride scholarship. And the kid walked into his house one day and said, Dad, I hate baseball. I don't ever want to play again. No kidding. And the dad, I wouldn't suggest doing this, went back and figured out how much money he had spent on just his son's baseball between camps and travel teams and equipment and instruction, $250,000, which I guess you could argue he was going to get paid back in a full ride college scholarship. Yeah, but but I mean, is seeing your kids as a financial investment a healthy way to... And the kid was broken, you know, the kid was broken. And so what I would Mm. say to people out there, I'm with you. If you're like, man, this is a struggle for me. I didn't think it would be. I want you to hear me. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you or to myself and just say, you've got to sometimes go against the current and think what's best for my kid Mm. and my family and what's going to leave them healthy. Not if you just try to keep up with the people around you, you're going to put your kid in everything and you're going to put too much pressure on your kids. And I can already feel that urge within me. And that's Mm. why I want to make sure people out there are are knowing that and fighting that, whether it's the piano or it's a a musical or it's baseball or it's grades. Which I think the other side of that is that it is still okay. I think, I don't think you disagree with this Mm -hmm. to teach hard work and discipline and perseverance. Because I know part of the, part of the frustration for me was that, I'm I'm just endlessly curious about everything. So I do karate for two weeks, and then I do fencing for two weeks, and then I do awesome. soccer for two weeks. Okay, so it sounds awesome, but I look at hindsight, I totally like, oh, get man, yeah. what if I had stuck with one of those yep. for five, six, seven, eight? Would I be moderately okay with it? Mm-hmm. So so on, on one end, I appreciate, like, oh, I had this kind of grab bag experience. On the other end, man, Ian Ian needed to learn some some real, like, stick-to-itness, and uh, I learned in other ways, yes. um, but I, I think that there is a balance there to like, yeah, it's, I think it's okay to be nervous for your kid when he's pitching yeah. and really want him to do well. I don't think any of that's anti-Christian or anti-biblical. I think and, I've just had to get really deeply into what's going on in my soul yeah, that's and good, just man. make sure it's healthy. Yeah, I get, I'm getting nervous when my kid gets up to do anything. Totally. Any of them. That's so your kid. Nervous isn't really the issue. It's why am I nervous? Totally. What, am I, what pressure am I putting on them? And it, I just had to the other day be like, what? why am I thinking about youth baseball right now? <laughs> like, yeah. And just that. And so I'd encourage parents out there with kids who are a little older, just check your, just 
every now and then look in the mirror and ask, what are my expectations That's on good. my kid and where are they coming from? That's a good caution, man. Well, coming up next, I want to tackle a topic that I don't think we've ever even come close nope. to tackling, <laughs> and that is artificial intelligence. So we're going to show how not intelligent we are on this topic in just a little bit. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. There's another guy in here, too, though. His name is Brian Fromm. That's me. In here by, I mean, the room, not like in my head. Yep. It's a real... Probably both. He's a real... <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, might, you might be more right than you realize. Okay, so uh, you're a big fan of Russell Moore. I am. You've said this on air, off air, and in between. And he wrote a, uh, an article about uh, artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. and it just says AI is okay, sort of. Yep. <laughs> What's going on here? So I do enjoy Russell Moore. I think he is, uh, he is a great thinker uh, in the, in the, when, when everyone else is like very polarized and very crazy, I find him to be really nuanced and he gets a lot of backlash for it. Hmm. Um, but I, I really enjoy uh, where he goes and what he does. So anyway, that's my background on Russell Moore. If you don't, if you're not aware of him, he's a great follow on Twitter. He writes great stuff. Uh, he's he's in the world of politics too. If that's your bent, like a, just a really good guy about faith and politics and all that stuff. Okay, uh, that's my background on Russell Moore. But here he wrote, and his organization did some work on how are Christians to think about artificial intelligence, uh, how, prompting evangelical Christians to think through the theological, ethical, and existential questions raised by the advance of artificial intelligence. Much of the conversation, he says, is understandably about warning, since I don't think my fellow evangelicals have even given nearly enough attention to a technological shift that will transform our lives. And he jokes in the beginning, I, for one, welcome our robot overlords. No, not really. But the technological revolution about to shake the world is a great deal of good news along with bad. Hmm. And so he's going, how do we as Christians deal with um, the advancement in, in technology to the point where uh, some people think there's coming a day where robots are, are really very human-like yeah. in, in scary ways, uh-huh. replacing humans to certain ways. Uh, and he wants to caution us in that. He wants to make sure that we recognize, no matter how far the advances come, that there will always be a difference between human and machine, and we must always keep those different. That's a deeply theological issue. Um, but he also says that we as Christians can't go like just kind of barking at the wind like technology is bad, but instead need to say, man, there are advances coming right now that are going to really aid in the spread of the gospel and in the ability to reach people, and that Christians need to be at the forefront uh, of of embracing these technological shifts. And so, again, what I like that he does is say, let's look at what the dangers are and be honest about those while at the same time embracing the benefits and just have a conversation as people. Because sometimes we as Christians can be like, you know, all progress is bad. It's going, you know, and, and, and we don't want to do that. And so I appreciate what he's done with this. So, yeah, these are the kinds of conversations where in my heart of hearts, I think the Amish got it right. That's just... <laughs> Horse and buggy, let's lose electricity, no more anything. Let's just grow our crops, and <laughs> we'll, we'll know the 30 people closest to us. And yeah, we'll, I just got it right. I, honestly, I have that thought about once a month, like, okay, I'm about this close. And that's that's not really real, that's but it's awesome. a little bit real. And I, I think I mentioned on Wednesday, Wendell Berry, who is actually somebody who has helped me think through some of these things in ways that I, I don't know that I would have had the fortitude to think through on my own. And he talks about uh, the significance to discern between creature and machine. And like, as you put it, that stuff, the line is getting thinner and thinner yep. and more and more blurred. Um, 
what I think we need to do, though, because it is easy in a radio booth to just say, hey, we need to discern the benefits and beware of the dangers. Well, that would be fine if the dangers were really obviously dangers and the yep. benefits were really obviously benefits. But we know throughout history that plenty of things that we initially collectively, plenty of smart men and women said this is a benefit that in hindsight said that was a dumb idea. Yep. We shouldn't have done that. That opened Pandora's box and now look where it's gotten mm. us. So it's not just a matter of present tense observation of, okay, yay or nay, this is benefit. Yeah. And then the majority says benefit, so we go for it. It's, it's learning to predict which is near impossible yeah. uh remember a month or two ago when we read that article about 10 predictions bill gates made that yeah. ended up coming true like someone like that i feel like the church needs to harness that level of wherewithal and that's this is not not in any way discrediting like prayer and the prompting of the holy spirit yep. and like that all needs to happen first but to think more intently that hey just, just be ca- just because we can stream a service live or just because yeah. we can create the Bible app, just because we can, should we? And I think often we lack the resources to really think things through deeply yeah. because the initial benefit seems so beneficial and so obvious. Like that guy a couple months ago, or maybe it's just a month ago, he was talking about the future of the church is digital. So yeah. just get used to it. Yeah. Uh, and I we think we both said no. That, But like we're saying no now, maybe 20 years from now, we say, well, we lost that battle. Yes. Like, you know, the 80% of churches are all digital. I don't yeah. know. I, I don't have that capacity to predict what those types of particularly technological decisions uh, will, ha- what kind of impact and implications they'll have. Mm. But I, I do know that sometimes it's so easy for us. And I do think history supports this, that if the, if the benefit, even if altruistic seems really clear right now, we go for it without really running out the possibilities of what if this thing goes sour, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so Moore does a lot of good stuff about saying, you know what, this can really advance mission and advance ministries. But this is where I'm like, you know, I'm with you. I'm not on the Amish thing, but um, <laughs> come on, join me. You know, you, I think you're a lot more. I think you, you tend towards the Amish much more than I would, I think. But <laughs> as I uh, look at my iPhone, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really <laughs> Amish. It's <laughs> more towards the Amish, maybe. But I just don't think that re- regular people like you and I, when I say regular, I mean like people who don't really fully grasp all the technology around it. I'm speaking for you. Let me just speak for myself. Yeah, that's fine. I am, uh, I'm very middle of the road in understanding our technological advances mm. and stuff like this. And every now and then you, you come across something that is just so surprising and you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on with our world? Let me give you an example. Okay. And you tell me if we're just out, out of our minds or if this, you know, but yes, we, we, are were out of freaked our minds. we were freaked out by this. <laughs> me and my family, we, when we went to Florida a couple weeks ago, we were flying back. We we're at the airport. Okay. And uh, I'm on my phone looking at Facebook or something. My wife, Carrie, and one or two of my kids goes to, you know, just one of those shops, gets a specific bag of pretzels. Mm. Okay. They come back. We're not even talking about the pretzels. All my wife and kids are like, hey, do you want some of these, whatever the name was? Okay. So we're not looking for them. We're not doing anything. We weren't looking for them. Uh, 20 minutes later, half hour later, I go back on my phone and go on Facebook. And there was an advertisement for those pretzels. Oh, yeah. And it blew my mind. Oh, it shouldn't. Because I was like, I wasn't searching for them. Nope. Was, but this is where I don't grasp. Like, yep. you know, you said it's not all good and all bad. Yep. And it's not all. Oh, that's well documented it's now. Not, that stuff it's is not happening. all altruistic. It's right. not all this. Like, those are the things where I don't see it. And this is what I appreciate about the article. It's saying, you got to get your head out of the sand, right? Let's, yeah. like, let's look at it. Let's talk about how can we advance God's kingdom through these great technological advances, Bible apps and having theology, both old and new, at our fingertips and getting the gospel to the nations. But then let's also talk about 
What's this technology doing to families? What are the temptations that come with it? And what are the issues that you or I probably have no idea what they are, but they're going to come. So let's try to get ahead of those. I think it's it's a really well-written thing to talk about. Uh, but yeah, that's where I, I feel like I'm always behind the curve. And so when I mm. see something like that, I'm like, Holy I, almost cow. Just, I almost just drop my phone. Like that's when I'm afraid <laughs> to become Amish. Like get my phone, get my phone in the, throw it in the garbage. So for you, like, what yeah. it takes though to really get to that boiling point is like an invasion of privacy, it, right? Like you just freaked me out. Yeah. It was just, it was just crazy. But okay. So let's say there was an article that came out that said, Hey, um, what kind of phone do you have? Do you have an Android or an iPhone? I have or? an iPhone. Okay. So let's say there's some big news break. Like, Hey, turns out Android users, this advertising thing is happening, but yep. iPhone users don't 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 worry about it. It isn't happening on Apple platforms. Yep. So like, okay, cool. Like it wouldn't freak you out nearly as much, even nope. though like you have clear evidence that technology exists, yep. which means it's eventually coming for you. Like I, I find that so interesting. It's eventually coming for you, right? Like it's like <laughs> oh, that's yeah. kind of how it feels. Like you know, I know plenty of people that tape up the the cameras I on their laptops, too, yes. and uh, you know, I, ten years ago, I think some of them. It was easy to dismiss as like conspiracy yes. theorists, and the more that we learn about technology it and its uses, it's like, oh, they may have had something to that. And I think every yes uh, is ultimately also a no. So when we say yes to leading our churches like this or embracing this technology, we we are at some level saying no to something else. Yes, and I think it's wisdom to weigh those against each other and predict out how this is actually going to impact our community as best we possibly can. Absolutely. Well, you've been listening to the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is also in the studio, in the space, as he... In the space. (laughs) Is that kind of like a hippie way to, hey man, we're just hanging out in the space, bro. It's Just just, sharing a thought, sharing the brainwaves. I'm just here, man. I'm just here. Don't harsh my mellow, bro. (laughs) Harsh my mellow. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. If that was a phrase that I use, people would... It would be the most ridiculous thing coming from me. It works for me, though? I think so. (laughs) I think so. More, be- more so than me. Is it because I wear fedoras? Is yeah, that what it is? Yeah, That's maybe. the kicker. I just got to keep wearing the fedora. This is the thing about the fedora. This is not a real conversation, but I'm going to have it anyway. People <laughs> five times a week say, oh, man, I wish I could wear a fedora. And I always say, you can. You have a head. That's the only thing that's... <laughs> The only thing that's required, just wear it like you've always been wearing but it. You people, know exactly what they mean. No, by I don't. Just do you're a, it. You're a fedora person. I wasn't a year ago. Yeah. And it takes now a I'm lot just doing of work it. to become a fedora person. They're you're saying, true. What they're saying to you is, I wish I was already a fedora person. <laughs> that's what they're saying to you. Maybe they're just trying to be nice and they're walking away and they're like, fedoras are stupid. I can't believe he wears a fedora. <laughs> you're a fedora person. I was trying to be polite. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. All right, so we've uh, briefly touched on this, um, and we took a different tack, but Rachel Held Evans, as we've mentioned, who is a, a pretty well-known blogger and author, Speaker, really, yep. really active on Twitter. Yeah, she she is uh, like squarely in the progressive camp, um, but... I would I, say at the lead of the progressive, like she's kind of one yeah, of the okay. faces. All of, right. If there was a Mount Rushmore of the progressive camp. <laughs> She's going to be up there, right? Can you imagine? More in popular culture. You Who know, else then... would be on that Mount Rushmore? Oh, I can get myself in trouble. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, we won't get there. All Rob, right. Rob, Rob Bell's looking good up there, Rob though. Bell, you think so? <laughs> oh, for sure. Oh, man, I want to have this conversation. Text okay. us at 68683. Yeah. Who's Progressive <laughs> Theological Mount Rushmore. We'd love to hear your thoughts. That, I'm sure will blow up the text line. Uh, but okay, so... All, like all joking aside, she had tweeted yes. um, that she had like some flu-like symptoms and had to go to the the hospital and was like, "Oh no, I'm going to miss Game of Thrones." And then the next thing that we saw from her was like her husband posting on her behalf saying 
she's in a medically coma. induced coma, and it's been a stretch now. And so, as you were mentioning, the the circle of support has expanded. Yep, obviously, and it's understandable. Initially, like people who love and support her. That's people who have bought her books, people who yes. fit in her theological camp. Been but, influenced by her. Right, yep. all of those things, which makes total sense. And they started a GoFundMe that like blew up and they yeah. they keep moving the target of yep. the dollars and it, they keep hitting it. Like yep. that's been remarkable no matter who you are. Um, but as we've seen over time, the, the concentric circles of support mm-hmm. have been expanding a little bit, but something curious has been happening with that support yes. that you noticed that I want to talk a I did, about. and it's really somewhat fascinating, somewhat disappointing, but I also think an important conversation because, uh, like you said, uh, it's just ultimately at its core, it's a sad human story, right? This is a yeah. this is a young woman who is uh, in the prime of her life, is making a difference whether you agree with her or not, and um, but mostly she's married with two young kids, yeah, and is right. now in a coma. And and again, there's little ominous things that are put out there. Like in the GoFundMe, her husband wrote, in a, and we're facing a quote-unquote long road ahead. Ugh. And you're like, oh, okay. And so they've asked for prayers. People on their behalf have asked for money. And like you said, the money has been pouring in. Here's the interesting thing that you put it really well, those concentric circles going out and out further away from what would be considered her theological tribe. Um, because she is a lightning rod on Twitter. She, mm-hmm. she picks fights. She joins fights. She's, she is a bolt. She's nothing if not bold yeah. uh, in her theology and her beliefs. And but also just to say also very tender in other ways, too. Not, not just only bold. hundred percent. Not I've a jerk be, bold. No, no. I've seen her be incredibly compassionate. I've seen her admit that she was wrong. I've seen her admit failure. Like just, just to say that out loud. Okay. And you're seeing that as people are giving and writing notes about the, the difference she has made. Yeah. So you start to see, we talked about Russell Moore last segment. He he tweeted his support. Russell Moore theologically is going to be in a very different spot than Rachel Evans, all these other people. And, uh, and that's a good thing. But now there's been this kind of conversation going around right now because a lot of people who aren't in, quote unquote, her theological tribe or her theological camp, they keep prefacing their tweets or their Facebook messages or their support with, while I don't agree with a lot of what Rachel Held Evans says, or while I tend to... You know, while her and I tend to battle theologically, we all need to be praying for her. Yeah. And now there's been this backlash. Beth Moore came out and was like, this is ridiculous. Why is everybody prefacing? She kind of went on a t- Twitter rant about people. She's been kind of on fire lately. A little prophetic, man. right? Man, oh, She's man. Been going. And, and it's a really fascinating conversation because on the one hand, some of these people are like, no, I'm trying to make the point that I'm not in her tribe, but I'm still praying for her and giving towards her. So I want people to understand that. But other people are like. I think what you're really doing is trying to distance yourself from her while still praying for her, uh-huh. making sure people see the lines. And is that the time for a tribal exactly. conversation in the first place? Exactly. Right? And so how does that, you know, to make it even more biblical, you know, when Jesus says pray, you know, even for your enemies, are we supposed to do that with disclaimers? Whether it's our enemies or our theological enemies. <laughs> Just everyone knows, I don't agree with Gary, but I want everyone to know exactly. I'm praying for but him. I'm going to pray for him. Yeah, or, right. I don't like my, I don't agree with anything about my neighbor, but I'm going to go love him. You know, mm. like, is it this? And so, but more so in the Christian world, because in the end, you know, uh, despite theological differences, Rachel Held Evans and person, a conservative Christian ex are still on the same team, mm. uh, to use the sports metaphor. Uh, but it's just been very interesting because then when you when you start to see this and you go through some of the tweets and stuff, you're like, oh, wow, a lot of people have they've kind of made their tweets that way. Like, well, I don't agree with most of what she believes in. Yeah, right. I feel badly for her and I am praying for her as opposed to 
hey, my people, let's pray for Rachel Held Evans and just leave it out there. And so it's a little nitpicky and feels a little weird, but I just saw this undercurrent of conversation going on and it got me thinking like, huh, that is interesting that we tend to do that, that we still try to mark our boundaries even in a moment of crisis of going, hey, this woman needs prayer, her family needs prayer, they need money. Uh, I'm not even going to preface it. I'm just going to say, hey, I'm praying for that person, and I need all you two also, uh, you all also too as well. I actually don't think it's nitpicky at all. I think this is this is why important converse, conversations like this don't happen is because we get fearful. Like, I don't want to sound nitpicky. Yeah. Like, one, and we've said this before, language matters. Yes. It really matters. And we've talked about even some of the ways that we've said things. Like, oh, that's not actually what I meant, but I realized that's what I just said. Yep. Like, what? who hasn't had a, a marital debate where one person interpreted the other person? Yes. But I think the thing that does fire, and I won't speak for Beth Moore. I won't even speak for you. I think caveats like that do subtly communicate Agreed. That my tribal allegiance is still as important, if not more important, than me praying for this person yeah. who's sick. Yep. Like, I have to, I have, to, I'm trying to think of any other environment where that would even seem normal or yeah. okay. Like, hey, quick caveat. Do we need caveats to prayer? No. Do I need to say, let's, I mean, let's run it out to the like most ridiculous degree. If it was a criminal or if it was, uh, what we say, I, I don't agree with ISIS, but we are going to pray. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And yeah. maybe because that's less obvious that, like, you know, Ian and Brian aren't team ISIS. But do we, I, do we know that? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm just saying, I wonder what what is the mechanism beneath the surface that makes us feel like this is a good opportunity, this is a good time for me to make sure the distinction yep. is clear. I imagine it's for fear that somebody in their camp might say, oh, Russell Moore, what are you doing, man? I thought I thought you were in our camp. Are you, are you progressive? I think that's it. So that seems like it's motivated by fear. Prayer stands in opposition to fear. It's not the time for glad-handing yeah. or politicizing. It's to say, a sister is sick. Let's pray, pray together, right? I also think it's because our theological discussions have turned uh, they now mirror the political discussions. Like, uh, that's, and yeah. I think they just have, right? Yeah, Whereas it's now it's conservative true, theologically versus progressive theologically. Yeah. It's the same as this if a Republican is like, well, I'm going to pray for this Democrat who I disagree. <laughs> and you're like, no, that's not. We don't care about your politics at this moment. And quite yeah. frankly, with, with her going through this, we don't care about your theology in this moment. That yeah, doesn't right. change the fact that you're called to pray. So wherever you're at out there, we'd call for you to pray for her. And yeah. If totally. you don't know what's going on or you know anything about her, go home and Google her. And, Google and, her and, give, and give to the GoFundMe if, yeah. you're, if you feel so inclined. I think that, that that is the body of Christ being the body of Christ, yep. that even though we disagree on this, 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 and this, um, a mom and a wife is sick right now, yep. and we care about that. As a Christ follower, I care about that. Well said. Because, because Christ cares about that. Well said. Coming up next, we're going to talk about Tiger Woods a little bit more, but uh, not in the way that you think we're going to. We're going to learn a little bit about what Tiger Woods can teach us about silence. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins.
Hey, friends, welcome back. We missed you. <laughs> hey, friends. <laughs> oh, good to see you. Won't you be my neighbor? Uh... Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. If you'd like to find us on Facebook, you sure can. Uh, it's on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. Plus, the show is podcasted, blah, 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 blah. We mentioned before the break, though, Brian. Uh, you just blah, blah, blah through our yeah, podcast. We I'll, want people to podcast. I, yeah, they know how podcasts work, Brian. We say it every know. segment. Do you want to tell them about the podcast? Just go find you your po- our podcast wherever you can. Subscribe. Okay. Rate it. Did text that, us. Whatever that, you want to do. Did that feel valuable to you? Do you did. feel better now? Felt like I did the <laughs> mechanics of the show that are needed. They're not needed every... Okay, we'll come back to that. <laughs> So I mentioned before the break, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Tiger Woods again, but in a very different way than what we talked about him last time. And I think uh, I think this angle is really fascinating. Yeah, and it also made me think we're actually going to talk more about Jim Nance's call of Tiger Woods' last putt. And, and, and it made me think, if you know uh, Jim Nance, he always goes, hello, friends. And we came back and you were like, hi, friends. <laughs> That's why I was the tie together. So Jim Nance always calls the Masters on CBS. And if you know, if you're a golf fan at all, you know the Masters is kind of the tournament of the year. And Nance always done it. There's always a lot of pomp and circumstance to it. And uh, but this year's Masters, once it started to become apparent that Tiger Woods had a chance to win, it the level of importance for this year's Masters just grew exponentially. If this turned into the Masters being one of the biggest sporting events in the year to this being one of the biggest sporting events in the decade or that anyone could remember. Tiger Woods might win, and he did win. And so when Tiger went up to 18, you know, if you're Nance, you're thinking to yourself, this is going to be an iconic call that is played over and over and over again for, you know, for a generation or two or who knows how long. And so for somebody like Nance, he probably had to start thinking to himself, how am I going to call this? How am I going to call this if, if he indeed wins? So Tiger goes to 18, he's up by two shots, hits it in the rough, he chips up. Tiger's got a three-putt for the win. Oh, no, he's got a two-putt to win, uh, and he misses the first, but the second one's a tap-in. And so I always put myself in Nance's shoes. Like As he's going up for the tap-in, Nance has got to be thinking, like, what am I going to say? Hmm. Uh, and so Nance's call, uh, when, it, when, it putt, when the putt went in, Nance called it a return to glory. And so he gave it kind of like that. Oh, and a return to glory, and Woods pumped his fist, but then Nance went silent. Uh, And he said he went silent on purpose to let the scene play out. Uh, And he went, he said this, as soon as the ball dropped, I said to the producer on the talkback switch, I'm not saying anything for a long time. We're going to ride this thing out and sit back and enjoy it. I never would have jumped on a moment that was that big. It was just so Big And when mm. I read that, it just fascinated me because I think, and it'll be interesting to see which way we take this, because I think this goes <laughs> into all aspects of life. But here's Nant saying, this is a monumental moment in the, in, in the world of golf, in the world of sports. And for him, a trained, one of the greatest sports announcers of our generation, for him, an important event like this meant he needed greater amounts of silence. He needed to let the thing breathe and play out. And you would think your normal reaction would be to fill that, right? Tiger Woods is one that da 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 and just keep going. And instead, what he said, and if you start to notice in sports broadcasting, whenever there's a, you know, a, a last-second shot or something, uh, something monumental that happens, announcers will normally just be quiet yeah. and let it play out. And I just find that fascinating the bigger the moment, the less noise or the less voice that we want and, and the more that you have to just let it breathe. 
Uh, and so as a communicator, you and I both, we, we are pastors and we speak. Uh, part of our jobs are to speak for a living. Um, I think this has a lot, of, a lot of interesting angles to it that says, uh, bigger the moment, less talking. So I'm not sure that's always how we treat things. Well, and I can't believe you left it off, but the, the end of that block where he's talking about what was happening in that booth at the time that he won, he said, he ended by saying this, there's nothing you could do to add to it. You could mm. only ruin it. And um, not to over-spiritualize, but here we go. Go uh, for it. Do it. I, man, we talk often on the show about, it seems like the arguing is getting louder, mm-hmm. the screaming is getting more intense, and when we feel something deeply, that tends to be when we crank the knobs up to 11, not yeah. the other direction. Like, the impulse is, I have to shout even louder, because this moment is so big, it evokes this bigger and bigger... Lo- I mean, maybe that's not for everybody. I think introverts have been way ahead of the curve on this one for <laughs> yeah. a long time. But it reminded me, years ago, I remember um, giving a sermon, and I, I quoted this uh, this short story. I think his name's... George Borges or something like that. And he said, don't talk unless you can improve on the silence. Mm. And wow, as, that's powerful. as someone like me and you who talk for a living, that's not our entire job, but that's a big part of it. That has always stuck with me since I was like in my early 20s. Before I say something, does this actually improve on the silence? Mm. And that feels like a little piffy, I realize, but it's powerful. There is, And there's something about in sports, you don't have to know golf at all. Like I remember watching that thinking, Oh, this silence is weighty. Yes. This isn't, it didn't feel accidental at all. It didn't feel like, oh, they lost the feed. Like it was so clear, at least to me, like, oh, this is a, this is a master at his craft saying, let's pull back right here. And, and I'll, and I'll be honest, like to bring it into a, a more humanitarian or philosophical realm, like the impulse to be quiet is a dying art. Yes. Like how many times have you started a sentence, Brian? not even knowing where it's going. Like, we do that with the show all the time, right? We're like, I, how, how long has this segment been going? <laughs> <laughs> and that's part of the fun of the show is that, like, you'll yes. pick up on, like, okay, Ian's wrapping up a sentence. I guess I have to talk now. Yes. There is some fun of that, like, we're discovering this together. But, man, oh, man, there are times where I I am, it's nervous energy. I need to, I feel like I need to say something. If we're in a car together with some friends, like, why can't we just be quiet in this moment? It's yes. actually, this is such a weird connection, but Jerry Seinfeld's Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, mm. for most every segment, and in talking to two comedians, professional talkers, he almost always includes some of the drive where they're just sitting there silently. Really? And I, lo- I love it, because it's usually him and another really funny person, and he intentionally includes, and here they are, just driving into 57 Bel Air, because it's 74 degrees out, and the top's down, and that's beautiful. And I remember thinking, I love that, as a part of their programming, which we're tuning in to like listen to them talk, yep. you're like, nope. E- even funny people who are like trained to always be on yes. need these moments to just hit pause and just be silent. And in the church, we can be so noisy sometimes. Yeah, no kidding. And, it's, and there's a moment for that. There's a place for that. But, you know, we just finished Easter week. Think of the difference there's supposed to be between Good Friday and Easter. Good Friday is meant to be dark and Good Friday is meant to be quiet. Like it's meant to make you sit in it. And whereas Easter is to be celebratory and this and that. And both of those are important. And I, I personally struggle with silence. Mm. I really do. Yeah, same. Uh, and to the point that I'm constantly in the car with stuff on. Uh, and so just the mere fact that I struggle with silence, but also I think what this gets to and what you've done a good job getting to, I love that quote. Don't, 
uh, only speak if you can add to the silence. You can improve like the yeah. silence, yeah. Because there are times, and our culture doesn't work this way, but there are times where the uh, not just the respectful thing, but the powerful thing to do is just sit in the moment. Yeah. It's just sit in the moment and, and talking like breaks that up. And it's not always solemn stuff, although I, the first thing that jumped to my mind is like a funeral, right? But, but like I remember the first time I held my child when they were one of my children when they're born. You just want to hold that there was very little silence because the baby's screaming. Yeah, right, but you're right. But you're still there's an overwhelming like this is such a deep moment. I it would be broken if I were like, hey, look at my kid. But instead, you just want to. <laughs> That's interesting. Be in that moment, yeah. And I think about the uh, the story that I've heard thousands of sermons, maybe not thousands, but dozens of sermons on you know Elijah in the mountain, and there's this fire and this wind and this earthquake and each time it says but the lord was not in them yes and then it says you know so the the thing that i've heard people write songs about is the you know the still small voice that hebrew word actually means the sound of sheer silence wow as to convey like we often look for god in the big and the dramatic and the obvious and sometimes he is but man i I think about the a, a kingdom where Jesus says it's a lot more like little kids and mustard yes. seeds. Yes. If it isn't maybe in those moments of silence, those common spaces, if I could be so blunt, um, that we often you miss may. God, yeah. right? That I think, man, we miss those things if we're always on. Yes. Whether we're actually vocally talking or always typing on social media, what would it look like to step back, to give these moments the weight they're due and to actually sit in it, man, I think I think the world would be yeah. a better place. I do. I'd encourage you to watch when you watch sports, like a big event, like Super Bowl, championship games, whatever else. Watch how they use silence, and you'll notice it if you're watching for it. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk to Paul Batura of Focus on the Family. They are hosting a pretty incredible event uh, right in New York City that is going to, I think, sound like unlike anything yeah. you've ever heard of. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. Just got to say, I did not pick that music. Oh, I love this music. You do not love this music. Okay, we're going to talk about that at a different time. But welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find out more at the fa- on, at the Facebook. See, I'm turning into you. <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> Slowly but surely. <laughs> it's like the Dorian Gray situation. The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com plus. The show is podcasted, but we are excited to have on the phone again, Mr. Paul Batura. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, Ian, Brian. Good to be with you again. Let me tell you all just a little bit about who Paul is. He's the Vice President of Communications for Focus on the Family in his role. Batura is responsible for media relations, internal communications, guest relations, and community relations to the ministry's Colorado Springs neighbors. With more than two decades of diverse experience in the news media, broadcast journalism, publishing, and nonprofit administration, Batura has been with Focus on the Family since 1998. Prior to serving in his current capacity, Batura served as a top writer and advisor to both Focus Focus's founder, Dr. James C. Dobson, and its current president, Jim Daly. You can learn more at FocusOnTheFamily.com. Also, just to mention, Focus on the Family with Jim Daly can be heard every weekday from 1130 to noon right here on AM 1160. And, Paul, I understand that there is an event coming up in New York that you are working closely with. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, you bet. It's uh, almost a week away, May 4th, uh, Saturday. In Times Square, and we're calling it "Alive from New York," a little play off of uh, yeah. SNL. Nice. Uh, and the uh, the high point of that event is a live ultrasound, a couple live ultrasounds right there in the middle of Manhattan. Uh, so that's been wow. something we've been working on the last few weeks. We're obviously trying to call attention to the sanctity of life, and uh, our name of our overall campaign is "See Life Clearly." We hope that when people see 
that baby on a big screen, they will indeed see life a little differently and hopefully have a change of heart for those who support abortion. What are you guys expecting the reaction to be? If I were standing there in Times Square, do you think it'll be a lot of anger, a lot of just curiosity? What are you guys expecting to take place that day? Yeah, you know, it's hard to know because you have thousands of people there. We're, we're going to have 10,000 people for sure. 10,000, wow. Yeah, and uh, possibly more. You know, when you see it on Times on, on New Year's Eve, they have that whole place shut down, the, meaning the streets and the cross streets. We don't have that luxury. We're going to be doing this in the middle of... Uh, you know, traffic basically yeah, wow. because uh, you have to work within the plazas. But, I, you know, I think you're going to have a lot of friends, people who are supportive of life and just want to do something. They, they're they eager to respond to some of the crazy legislation uh, that has been uh, bandied about. Uh, but I, I think there's going to be a lot of people who have never seen a 4D ultrasound mm. that are going to be amazed when they look up and they see basically a perfectly formed baby inside mm. a mother's womb. And, and I hope, you know, I, I don't want I say this and I hope this doesn't sound disparaging, but I think there's a lot of people in the mushy middle mm. who don't really know what they believe. Mm. Uh, and we're hoping to reach those people. Mm. Well, and it's interesting, too, because like so we mentioned on the show all the time that my eldest is only a year and a half. So like the first time ultrasound moment for me is still very clear and present for me. And I'm like, I'll be honest, I'd seen a thousand movies where, you know, the dad sees the ultrasound for the first time and he's moved to tears. And in my head, I'm like, is it really that moving? It can't be that moving. (laughs) And then when it's like your wife and your baby, I like, I couldn't hold it together. There is something about like, that's, that's the, that's the real baby right here. Like it was such a a moving moment for me. And I'm curious, have have you done anything like this uh, on any scale elsewhere? Have you done sort of this live ultrasound demonstration before? No, this is the first time. So, uh, you know, we're it's kind of a high-wire act because we're obviously going to the big city and yeah. doing it in front of a lot of people. Um, so there's a little bit of uh, a little nervousness, but I think that's a good thing. You know, push yourself out, take a chance. Yeah. Um, we've been doing the ultrasound program for 15 years. We know ultrasound technology saves a lot of lives. People, yeah. women report that when they see that child on an ultrasound sonogram, they're going to be more likely to carry that baby to term. And so we figure if it works on a small scale, let's go big. And yeah. you know, we're getting a tremendous response press-wise, uh, you know, people who are wanting to be there, big all the networks, uh, you know, how they cover it remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. But at, at the same time, you know, you do something on in New York City, you get more than you bargain for, really, because <laughs> it's not just the people there, it's the people who are going to see it uh, in media, uh, you know, many, many times over. Yeah, Paul, I'm interested if... Uh... If we were at the event in New York, will there be more than, than the ultrasound? Are there speakers? Are, is there kind of a program? And the second question I have about the event is, uh, for those of us who can't go to New York, is there a way to watch this, maybe online or somewhere else? Yeah, to answer your first, the second question first, they're gonna, we're going to live stream the event. You're going to be able to see it on our website. So if you go to FocusOnTheFamily.com on, on that Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, you can watch it, uh, you know, all two hours of it because we're going to have music uh, before and after. Uh, the first question in terms of the program, um, uh, we're going to have music, we're going to have speakers, we're going to have interviews. Believe it or not, we're not allowed to tell you who's going to be there. It's this uh, policy of the New York City Times Square Commission no that uh, wow. we're not allowed to, to mention. We have big names, there, you know, a lot of folks you would recognize. That sounds a little hollow. You know, like, <laughs> could could you give us like a word jumble? And we'll, try, we'll, we'll try to piece it together. Rhymes with. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's interesting. That's yeah, fascinating. I mean, we're, 
I mean, we're going to have an N- N- former NFL player there. We're going to have, um, uh, you know, a well-known Christian recording artist, uh, you know, civil rights uh, uh, historic figure there. So, Fascinating. There, you know, there's, it's going to be, it's going to move quickly because um, okay. there's no chairs. So people have to stand the whole time. So we want to make sure it's engaging and it's fast paced. Um, but it'll it'll go just a little bit over an hour in terms of the actual program. Oh, interesting. Okay, so the thing that I find so fascinating about this is, is what you're talking about actually feels reminiscent of even like like street theater almost. Like uh, like it feels like you're hearkening a little bit of the voice of the prophets. Like you're like, okay, we're going to do this thing right in this like the city center, and it's going to be engaging but different and unique and probably surprising and catching people off guard. And I know yeah. that. Um, churches are often kind of banging their head against the wall. Like, how do we convey this message? You know, I know plenty of pastors are like, I believe this, but I could never say this from the pulpit, but we don't, you know, we don't have a program for this. Like, what, what, how can churches learn from what it is that you're doing in, in how to engage culture well or how to have a conversation or even to like snap people a little bit out of their sleepwalk state to like pay attention even to anything in this day and age? Like, what encouragement would you give to Christ followers? I didn't know you. How did you know that we're bringing in the loaves and the fishes? I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> but I'll tell you, you know, we've learned a lot through this process. And I think the first lesson is to dream big. You know, we had mm. this idea to do this event. The thought was maybe do it, you know, at a mall, uh, you know, in a smaller venue. And then, frankly, we said, look, it's, we're at a crossroads moment, uh, you know, from uh, when it comes to life. Why not do it at the crossroads of the world? How do you mm. do that? Well, we just kind of started to make calls and, and uh, talk with folks. So I think you have to dream big. The other thing, uh, you know, whenever you're talking about a project of this size, it's going to co- cost money. But would you believe the minute we announced this, uh, you know, we weren't exactly sure how much it's going to cost. It was going to cost. Um, we had a donor call us up who heard about it, and he said, put me down for a million dollars. Whoa. And, and uh, you know, that's remarkable, right? And I think it's because, Folks are frustrated. Uh, they're feeling a bit um, despairing, and they want to do something. They want to be able to be involved in something big. And this is, again, when you're looking at your church or your community, dream big, think big, the Lord provides. And put out the need, mention what you're doing, and I think you know, good money follows good ideas. Mm. And certainly ministry, uh, good ministry is almost always going to be supported. Uh, by folks. Outstanding. You've been listening to Paul Batura, the Vice President of Communications for Focus on the Family. You can learn more about him and his role, uh, and also Alive in New York at FocusOnTheFamily.com. Paul, thank you so much for joining the show again. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having us on. Uh, I really appreciate it. Yep. Really appreciate you too. Coming up next, we're going to talk about burnout and what are some ways that we can help avoid it. That's happening next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good, a little-known fact. That's actually my band from high school. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. That's not true. What? Fake news. You can't verify that. (laughs) Prove it. (laughs) Prove me wrong. Find the tapes of my band from high school and prove to me that's not us. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely. All right. You you called me out, Fromm. You called me out. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. Plus, the show is podcasted, so like, subscribe, review, 
All those things actually help us. You can text us at 68683, and then in your message body, type CG for Common Good, and then your thought, your comment, suggestions for the show, links, any of that stuff. We would uh, love to hear from you in that regard. It feels like it feels like you've been getting punked in that text line a little bit lately. I have. Is that true? I did, by yeah. a co-worker of ours. Oh, it was. Yeah. Would this co-worker remain nameless then, or... No, it was Dan Ehrman. <laughs> Didn't even hesitate. My, we got to get Dan uh, on the show to defend his comments. All right, so this here's an article uh, from Mindful.org. The headline may maybe seems a little bit obvious, but there's some there's some really good content here that I think um, is for me like really convicting. It's I'll admit from the get go, this is not a thing I'm good at. Uh, it says bottled up emotions at work lead to burnout. And I think of like bottled up emotions. I just think of like, what do you mean, being Irish? Like that's just, <laughs> that's just like the Irish way, isn't it? Just just stuff all your feelings down, and then eventually you die. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, what what about this idea, particularly speaking in a workplace environment? Because yeah, that's what makes this interesting. You're a pastor, and there is sometimes like weird, like tiptoeing of like, okay, how much can I really share? At a place of employment where I'm also the pastor, like how do you how do you navigate that? Yeah, it, that one is difficult. Um, although to be honest with you, it may be more difficult for you because you work in a church with a big staff. True, I work in a church where there's like two or three of us on staff, Got and it. so it's a lot. Um, I think it's easier to navigate those things. But this is talking about all workplaces, right? Like. Um, that as we bottle up our emotions in general in life, I, he uses the line or she, I forget who wrote this, but, uh, they use the, um, the line bottling up your emotions makes you sick. Mm. And it's saying you spend all this time at work and we don't feel like we feel like we've got to like have it all together and be nonchalant about everything and look like we've got it. And that, uh, you know, maybe you dislike a coworker or you don't like your situation. And all of a sudden, uh, this gets, uh, bottled up and you just start getting sick. And, and so, but this is true across the board, right? If we bottle up our emotions in marriage, it has a negative effect. And I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I'm a complete, like, uh, I'm a, I'm risk. I'm a, I'd like to avoid fights. I like to avoid conflict. Sure. And so when Carrie and I were in marriage counseling, our marriage, our premarital counseling, our premarital counselor looked at me and said, uh, for your marriage to go well, and she like pointed at me. She's like, "You have to get better at sharing your emotions." Hmm. And I was like, "That makes me angry." <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> but I, and to be honest with you, it's been a struggle like throughout. Yeah, I believe that. Uh, why do you believe that? Okay. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. <laughs> but this article is saying if we if we're also like that at work, it's going to have negative effects on our productivity, on our well being. We're going to be sick more often. We're going to hate work. We're going to hate being with this place where we spend all of these hours. But I think that's also true in, like we said, in marriage, in friendship and all sorts of things. And the question becomes, what does it look like to uh, be a person who uh, does not bottle up emotions while at the same time not becoming the person who's just constantly dumping on people yeah, all the true. time? Totally. What is that healthy middle ground for you? Okay. Um, I want to give some tactics first because I think this article actually offers some really Helpful insight. And if you're listening, you're like, I don't, I don't know if I have bottled up emotions. I don't, I don't know that if I'm, I don't know if I'm careening towards burnout or not. There's some really practical suggestions to this article. Um, First, one of the simplest ways to notice things aren't all right is to note how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the day before you go to work, whatever that day is. Uh, Ask yourself the following questions. Do you dread walking into work the next day? Mm -hmm. Do you hate the thought of turning on your computer and getting started? 
If you notice that you aren't motivated to work on projects or simply don't put the same amount of time or energy into things you once did, if you answered yes to any of these questions, there's a good chance these feelings stem from attempting to stifle angry, upset, hurt, or other negative feelings. And then it goes mm. on and talk about a body scan practice for burnout. And this maybe sounds like a little bit of yoga type stuff. I'm telling you as someone who's actually done these things, it's helpful. Start by focusing your attention to the top of your head and slowly move down your body. Make sure to stop at every major intersection from the head, face, neck, shoulders, fingers, and so on. Is your jaw sore? Your neck or shoulders tight or hunched? Is there pain in your back or hips? Where else might you feel discomfort or tension in your body? Stop and investigate the tension, its location, its texture, and see if you can direct mm. your breathing to that location in order to dissipate some of the stress. It's being more mindful of the things that you know people are saying across different medical fields. These are some of the warning signs. Rather than getting to an absolute boiling point and just exploding, yeah, here's some ways that you can actually be a little bit more mindful of it. And then it gives, uh, if I could just give them real quick, a yeah, three-step three practice to recognize, note, and name some of these feelings. They recommend you can do it on a on a daily practice or a routine. First, it says give yourself an emotional play by uh, play by play. In other words, narrate your emotions. How are you feeling? Write down your emotions as you notice them: angry, sad, upset, let down. If you're at the water cooler or in a meeting, notice any strong emotions that surface. As men, we stereotypically are terrible at this. Mm -hmm. We just, we feel them and we deal with them as they come. And to name them is not something that many of us are very good at. Number two, notice the mental clamor. What is the context for the strong emotion? Does somebody just say something that upset you? What feelings or personal narratives were triggered? Write that down. Write down what was said, how you interpreted the interaction, what emotions surfaced, and mm. specifically how you're experiencing those emotions in your body. Again, I'm telling you, recording these things over the course of time, you'll notice patterns like, wow, I really start to freak out internally when someone says something like this. For me, honestly, if I could just cards on the table, if someone doesn't give me the benefit of the doubt, mm. someone assumes ill intent, like, ugh, that's like a knot in my stomach. And the last one is coach self-kindness. Think about what you might say to another person, a friend or a colleague who is upset for a similar reason. How would you approach their situation? What advice would you provide? What kind of attitude would you have toward them? You can visualize it, visualize this or write it out. Yeah. And then the next step is to actually apply it to yourself. Mm. Like these things seem so simple, but you don't have to have any fancy degree or any subscription yeah. anywhere to be able to pull that off. And I think, like I'm curious, you sort of shared even just with your premarital, how good are you are, how good at, these things are you um probably not good i'm probably i'm i'm not like one of these people who doesn't acknowledge emotion uh i just think that i internalize it a lot it hmm. more like i don't want other people to be burdened by this right which is dumb but it's That's a little people pleasing right probably and so i'll internalize it and then start to feel anxious or start to feel stress or start to feel whatever um and, and so that's not good um and there's probably you know there's a lot of people out who hear this kind of stuff and you just kind of roll your eyes a little bit. I can mm. picture people kind of like, oh, this is like, you know, just, you know, buck up and, you know, just go on with your day. And we're just trying to tell you, like, if you we all have emotions, we all feel right. anger and stress and sadness and all these things. If you don't deal with them and they're going to deal with you. Yeah. And so I think some of these things you've read are really helpful. And I think kind of like especially uh, we could speak to the men out there like being a man and like not yeah. fit just not true yeah I know. you know it's going to lead to a breakdown a heart attack or something so you might as well mm. acknowledge your emotion and that's not a sign of weakness mm. uh but it's a sign of health yeah, and right. um 
you know, whether you're more like me who likes just kind of avoid it and not not because you're a man's man, but like I don't want to burden people with it. Or if you're like, yo, no, I'm too strong to feel this. It's it's just unhealthy. And so I think those things that you talked about of ways to do it mm. are are good, even if they are kind of a stretch for people, like acknowledge your emotions like what I've spent 40 years not acknowledging my emotions. Yeah, and, right. Well, well you made a now good might point be too. a good time to try. It's not just the steps, because if you don't actually believe this is valuable, right, or yeah. you still believe that vulnerability is weakness. Exactly. Right? I think that's one of the greatest mis perpetuated by culture and society, especially for men. Um, but I think I don't think anyone's immune to that. Like, yes. to see vulnerability as courage and to see that, like, even for you, to not want to burden somebody ultimately like tucked in there is shame. Yes. I don't man, if I let if I really let someone know how much that hurt me, then I'm then they'll assume I'm not as good a leader or I'm not as much as a, of a man. Like there's all these narratives that none of these steps actually help if we aren't actually willing to see them as useful and beneficial, mm -hmm. that like it's worth actually and again, like you said, this isn't spilling your guts to anyone you bump in on the streets at any time, but you know, Brene Brown talks about either you do vulnerability or vulnerability does you. Mm. Like, there's no such thing as a person who just doesn't do vulnerability. Good. And that is what this article is kind of asserting. That comes out as burnout or some sort of emotional explosion. Yep. And uh, I think we can at least all agree that that's the kind of stuff that we want to avoid, right? Yes. Yes. Well, you've been listening to The Common Good with Ian Simpkins and Brian Fromm right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the illustrious, the prodigious, the magnanimous, Right Reverend Brian Fromm. Uh, that is a way to send me into the weekend right there, man. <laughs> I'm going to replay that over and over again. I wish people could have seen your arm motions as yes. you were just basking in the glory of these titles. Yes. <laughs> Keep it I'm going. actually amazed that I had three of those words. It was where I was well, I wanted, brain, I man. thought you might go all segments. Just I go. might not have used them correctly. <laughs> <laughs> I like them. But they were words nonetheless. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. Plus, the show is podcasted. You can text us, 68683, and then in the message body, CG for Common Good, your thought, your comment, your anecdote. And uh, as we do every day, for better or for worse. Usually for worse. Usually for worse. <laughs> I don't know, man. Sometimes I listen to these back and I think, oh, like, ah, that's good. pretty funny. Yes. It is amazing how many other places I end up reading these stories, which we, uh, we've called Interweb Insanity. Disclaimer, as always, our producers pick these out. We have not read them. We have no idea what the sound effects are, and we're going to flip them over, read them sight unseen. And I think usually if you're in the driver's seat, you make the other person go first. Every right? time. Is that how it goes? Every right. time. Take us away, Brian. Come on, Florida. Illinois. McDonald's commits to hiring older Americans to fill jobs. Well, that's... If you're looking for a gig in your golden years, you might want to check under the golden arches. With the teens who so often staff its restaurants not always eager and able to start work early, McDonald's is teaming up with AARP to hire older workers for its breakfast and lunchtime shifts. The fast food giant will post positions on AARP's online job board as it tries to fill roughly 250,000 jobs over the summer. McDonald's is also working with the AARP Foundation to launch a pilot program in five states that will help match lower income older Americans with potential jobs. Older Americans are the fastest growing segment of the labor pool. By 2024, those who are 55 and older will make up 24.8% of the private labor force. Wow. I used to be with it, but then they changed what it was. Now what I'm with isn't it, and what's it seems weird and scary to me. <laughs> It'll happen to you. Uh, that's 
That's good. That'll preach. I'm going to use that in a sermon. All right, Louisiana. Man breaks into Louisiana governor's mansion, falls asleep on couch. (laughs) The Louisiana State Police on Monday revealed an extraordinary security breach at the governor's mansion, saying that they had arrested a man last week who had trespassed into the building and damaged property before falling asleep on the couch. (laughs) Raynard Green, 35, nope, 34, of Baton Rouge was booked Wednesday on counts including simple burglary, criminal trespass, and criminal damage to property. It was not immediately clear whether he had an attorney. (laughs) I mean, uh, it sounds like he actually tried to disarm one of the officers. Reading further, he was placed in leg shackles as he was becoming extremely violent. Wow. Someone who falls asleep during a breaking and entering just does not strike me as a particularly uh, violent person. But authorities uh, wouldn't immediately comment on whether Governor John Bell Edwards or his family were in the mansion at the time. A spokesperson for the governor referred comment to the state police. Oh, this isn't where I park my car. China. A China ultrasound video shows twins punching each other in womb. That sounds about right. Anyone with a brother or sister knows all sibling rivalries are real thing, but where do they start? Well, one video of a recent ultrasound shows that they may begin far earlier than one suspected. The clip, which comes from a hospital in China, shows a pair of unborn twin girls that are facing each other in utero. It's business as usual until one of the girls punches her sister, and her sister quickly fires back at her violent sibling. Body blow! Body blow! That's good. That's good. People, if you're listening to you need to find this picture, because they really are... Facing it, off. It looks like they're facing off. That's really incredible. All right, Texas. Texas school's dress code for parents bans sagging pants... Pajamas, hair rollers, and more. Well, can't move to Texas, I guess. <laughs> a Houston High School announced earlier this month that parents would need to conform to a dress code to be permitted to enter the school, a policy that has drawn media attention and scrutiny. On April 9th, a letter announcing the policy is linked on James Madison High School's homepage. It lists an array of clothing that parents are not permitted to wear inside the school or at school events, including a satin cap or bonnet, hair <laughs> rollers, pajamas of any kind. Hair leggings. rollers? Yeah. Wow. Leggings that are showing your bottom, sagging pants, Men wearing undershirts or Daisy Dukes. Where did you get that dress? It's awful. And those shoes and that coat. Jeez. <laughs> That's I, funny. I think enforcement of that would be funny, but. Yeah, no kidding. I'm all for it. Make it more suit. No, I'm just kidding. Here we go. New York, do you realize this is two days in a row we haven't out of Florida? Yeah, I'm heartbroken. Like, this is like, this is right up there with the guy who keeps winning Jeopardy. Like, this is the streak of all streaks. Maybe Florida's really getting his act together. New York City to ban hot dogs and processed meats to improve the climate. Oh, sure. Morons. (laughs) Wow, Brian Fromm. (laughs) New York City is the first city in the U.S. to eliminate processed meats. Mayor Bill de Blasio approved an ambitious $14 billion Green New Deal. To combat climate change, the plan will cut purchases of red meat by 50% in its city-controlled facilities, such as hospitals, schools, and prisons. The new commitment builds off the Meatless Mondays campaign that was adopted in 2017. It is a difficult plan, but a necessary plan. Estimates that tell us that we have only 12 years to get it right. Let's be clear, we have until 2030 to change things fundamentally, or our lives won't be the same. I don't know. Give me hot dogs. From my cold, dead hands. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I don't right. know about you. Give me hot dogs. <laughs> give me hot dogs or give me death. <laughs> I want to make that into a plaque and post it somewhere here in the studio. That would be just Brian Fromm. Uh, give me hot dogs. Happily man. enjoying a hot dog. Well, never a dull moment, man. It's been a fun week. Have a great weekend. Hope you have a great weekend. Hope that you'll join us on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.